Well, hey, church, it is good to be with you today. I tell you, I loved the worship set this morning. I hope you found yourself able to praise God today. I'm always so grateful uh, for our worship team and the hard work they put in. Uh, listen, it's good to be together. My name's Ethan. If we haven't met, glad you're here. You're in the right place. Uh, we're in the middle of a series uh, that we have done before at this church. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a repeat of a previous series, but the last time we did it was in February of 1922. So I think most of you have forgotten it in the intervening 100 years. And no, that's, that's true, though. This is uh, this series we're doing right now is based on a series we did together at church. It, it did together as a church 100 years ago this month, uh, focused on the core commands of Jesus and how we can live them out. Uh, we today uh, remember these core commands with these four phrases. We love God, we love everyone, we make disciples, and we tell our story. And throughout the week, these four phrases are going to inspire four challenges. And a few weeks from now, we'll have a chance as a church to respond to these challenges. Because we love God, we're going to commit to worship God first and make, make a commitment to worship, the first thing we put in our schedules. Uh, because we love everyone, we're going to commit to serve one another and the whole world through the local church. Because we make disciples, we commit to studying God's word together as we are shaped in the likeness of Christ. And because we are a people who tell the story of Jesus, uh, we'll, we'll commit to pray for one person who doesn't know Christ and then invite them to church in the next 30 days. So those commitments are coming and we're kind of building to that. It's like I say, it's the very thing we did 100 years ago as a church. And last week, we began... At the beginning. The beginning is when Jesus gets asked, what is the greatest commandment? Now this question was a common question among the rabbinic circles of Jesus' day. Jesus wasn't like the only person getting asked this question. Lots of people were getting asked it. And in fact, Jesus' answer isn't even unique. Like he's not the only person who gave this answer. But it is Jesus' answer, and so we probably should pay attention to what Jesus thinks the greatest commandment is. Last week we read uh, about a conversation about this in the Gospel of Mark. So this week, let's check out a similar conversation in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The expert lawyer asks for one commandment, and he gets back two. And this, with these two commandments, is where the DNA of Jesus starts. And it's where we've got to start if we want to live the DNA. We've got to start right where Jesus started. Last week, we focused on love God. 
And uh, if, you, if you heard it, great. If you missed it, uh, go back, check it out online, because uh, that's where it starts. And we, and we landed on two challenges. We said, if we're going to not just know that we're supposed to love God, but actually live the DNA of loving God, we got got two things. we got to, one, put worship first, like in the schedule of our lives, have a plan for how we're going to worship God every week. And then number two, we said we got to put prayer first. Whatever life throws our way, whatever worry or crisis or decision or fear you face, the first thing we're going to do with that is we're going to go to God in prayer. We're going to flip the script, not go to God in prayer once we've tried everything else. And Okay, I guess I might as well pray, but do it the other way around. First thing we do, pray. We say that's, a, it's a, that's just a rhythm we can live that helps us love God. And today, we get to the second command. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are two things I want to notice about this command. Uh, the first thing I want us to notice is I want us to notice the scope of this command. Because there's a great temptation to shrink the scope of this command. There's a lot of wiggle room in this word neighbor, right? You see that? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, who exactly is our neighbor, right? In fact, Luke chapter 10 records another conversation about the greatest commandment. And Jesus gets asked this question. And the reason he's asked this question is because this guy is trying to shrink the list. He wants to shorten the list of who counts as a neighbor. If you want to investigate Luke chapter 10, um, jump into one of our Live the DNA groups. The young adult group is on Monday nights. And then we've got groups for everybody on Wednesday nights. Uh, men's, women's, co-ed, singles, couples, whatever. We've got groups on Wednesday nights. And they're, ta- they're studying through the DNA elements just as we are on Sunday mornings. And they're going to look at Luke chapter 10. And this big question about who exactly qualifies as a neighbor. Because we can sympathize, can't we, with the temptation to shrink the list of who we're supposed to love. Who qualifies as a neighbor? And again, I don't want to spoil the study for Wednesday night if you come to it. But I'll just tell you, at every opportunity, Jesus resists our temptation to shrink the list of who qualifies as the neighbor we're supposed to be loving. Jesus says you're supposed to love your neighbor and your brother and your sisters and your parents and your enemies and your persecutors, everybody. Which is why when we remember this, we say love God and we just say love everyone just so we don't forget. And we just got to be clear, this is a crazy countercultural truth right now, okay? Our culture is not teaching us to love everyone. In fact, our culture is working exactly the opposite, saying, man, they do one thing wrong, stop loving them. They disagree with you on one thing. They vote differently than you, or they think differently than you, or they worship differently than you, or they interpret, whatever it is, man, that's enough. They're off the list. They don't need to be loved. And Jesus just says, nope, love everyone. The list is always longer than you thought it was. And not just love them philosophically, right? I mean, so that's the temptation we have with the people who we think of as our enemies or the people we disagree with. We're like, oh, sure, I love them. I just hope they have a terrible day, they lose their job, they suffer humiliation, and are publicly punished for all the things they do wrong. That's our world today. Oh, yeah, of course I love all people. I just want most of them to suffer. 
That is not what Jesus is talking about. Not some philosophical love, but an actual desire for the blessings of God to come into the lives of even those people we don't like. Even just pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus says. Well, just as a little aside, I'll tell you a quick little story here about this. Several years ago now, uh, three or four years ago or something, uh, when political tensions were real bad, you know, I preached a sermon on loving people who disagree with you politically. And in that sermon, I, I, I talked about how hard that is. And, how, and, and I gave this as an example. I said, you know, maybe there's a politician that you just can't stand. You know, maybe you can't stand Donald Trump or you can't stand Nancy Pelosi or whoever it is. And I said, you know, you could just start here. You could just pray that they have a good lunch. Just start there. Pray that I don't like their policies and I hope every bill they vote for, you know, dies in the committee or whatever. But at least I hope they enjoy their lunch. I'll just start there. And it was like two years later, a lady in this church came up to me and she said, I want you to know, I have been praying that Nancy Pelosi would enjoy her lunch for the last two years. (laughs) And she said, and just recently, I realized something, that I genuinely love Nancy Pelosi. And I want blessing for her, and I want her to thrive. We still disagree politically, but the the hatred that was in me, it's totally gone. And it just started because I just started praying for her lunch. And so I'm just telling you, you can do this. God can work a miracle in your heart. You don't have to go with our culture that says you have to hate all the people you disagree with. You, you can go. To, so keep your list long. That's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice what we noticed last week. Okay? And that is that love of God and love of neighbor are completely intertwined. As far as Jesus is concerned. Jesus just moves straight from love God to love neighbor. And we are so prone to pretend that we can pull them apart. And you get people who say, oh, I love God and I worship God and I'm sold out for God. But oh my goodness, I can't stand other people. They're they're the worst. And Jesus says, no, that, that doesn't work. Or or you get people who say, I love people and I serve people. I'm out there saving the world and doing good and trying to care for other people. But I don't really have any time for God and and God's whatever, you know. And Jesus just says, no, these two are so threaded together. The teaching of the Bible completely rejects any attempt we might make to disconnect love of God, love of neighbor. We're going to spend a little time in probably the premier text that shows us how integrated these two themes are. And and that's the letter of 1 John. If you've got a Bible with you, open it up to 1 John. If you've got a phone with you, uh, Google 1 John. We'll be starting in chapter 3, but we'll be bouncing around a little bit because I want you to see this in the text. In fact, uh, the, the, the text is so good, I hardly have any sermon left except to just make you interact with this text because it's, it's that good of a text. And you're just going to see how woven together this is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. If you've got a Bible or got a phone, maybe you want to follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. He's like, this is it. You heard this. This is the beginning message. We should love one another. Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. 
don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, great. The world's going to hate you. You're going to have enemies. You're going to be persecuted. Don't be surprised by that. But also don't think you get to hate them back. Don't think for one second you get to hate them back. He goes on. But we will know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. I mean, the world may hate us. But we'll know that we have passed from death to life because we'll love even when they will hate. Anyone who does not love, well, they're still stuck in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Man, this is tough, right? He says, those places where you are letting yourself hate other people, where you're holding on to a little bit of hate in your heart, those are dead places in you, he says. Places that have not yet been made alive, where eternal life has not yet come to reside, because where life is, he says, there will be love. He says, and this is how we know What love is. He's about to remind us that we're not talking about some sort of philosophical love or some sort of theoretical love. He says, this is the kind of love we're talking about. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And that's a tough word, right? Because I think I've done that. Like, I think I've, and he just says, how can you love God if you see someone in need and don't do anything? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. He says, this is real love. It's lay down your life love. It's sacrifice for another love. This is how we know, verse 19. You want to be certain that you belong to the truth? This is it. It's when you are loving others. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, because we've loved. But if our hearts condemn us, man, this is a tough verse here. I want you to think about, I want you to notice what he's saying here. He's talked about this need to love other people. And if you're like me, at this point in the text, you're going, oh man, I'm not sure I do this. I'm not sure I'm very good at this. I think I forget this. Oh, no. That's what it feels like for your heart to condemn you. You, He says, if your hearts condemn us, well, don't think for a second that God's standard is lower than your standard. Like, if you know that you don't live up to the call of loving everyone, well, then God definitely knows. Because God is greater than your hearts, and God knows everything. So those of us like me who stand here self-condemned as not as deep a person of love as I wish I was, if I am self-condemned, John says, well, then you definitely don't live up to God's standard. And God knows everything. He goes on. He says, I suppose if your hearts don't condemn us, if you're like, no, I actually think I am loving in every possible way, well, then you can just have confidence for God, receive from anything we ask, because you keep his commands perfectly, and you do what pleases him. Way to go, you. Because this is the command. And he's going to remind us, just so we're super clear, what's the command? 
to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Can you hear how this is a direct echo of the greatest commandment, right? Love God, love your neighbor. This is just an echo of that. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in God and God in them. How do you know you are living in God when you love one another? And man, we are so tempted to lower the bar, right? We're so tempted to lower the standard. We want to shrink the list of who we're supposed to love, and we want to lower the bar of how we're supposed to love. Maybe I'll love some people some of the time. Surely that's enough for God. And Jesus says, I won't lower the bar. John says, I won't lower the bar. Love God, love everyone, that's the bar. John says, this is the command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. It's funny, I was typing that into my notes, and autocorrect uh, wanted to change it. I typed, this is the command, to love God and love others. And autocorrect suggested, don't you mean these are the commands? See, autocorrect wanted to call it two commands. That's because autocorrect wasn't paying attention to Jesus. Jesus says, nope, it's one command. Love God and love others. So just, you know, this is Microsoft Word's autocorrect, which clearly means must be, you know, I don't know, not a Christian software. We shouldn't use it. I don't know. That's a joke. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Okay? The grammar doesn't work, but the gospel does. Love God and love others is one command, Jesus says. Now, right here, though, I just want to pause for a second. Because we need a little bit of a grace interlude, right? Because this got real. Um, You know, it says, if your hearts condemn you, don't think God won't. And my heart condemns me. I mean, I can't be the only one who is like, I don't love everybody all the time. So we need a little grace interlude. And um, the good news is, um, it's in the same book of the Bible, and it prepares us for this teaching. If, you got, if you're following along in your Bibles or on your phones or something, go back two chapters to 1 John chapter 1. Because I, I want you to understand what's going on here. Why is it that Jesus won't lower the bar? Because none of us can hit that bar. Like all of us now stand condemned by a bar we'll never reach. Listen to John chapter, 1 John rather, chapter 1. Uh, not John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8. If we claim to be without sin... So if you're sitting here saying, I think I do this love stuff perfectly. Yeah, I'm good. We're good. No. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we just look at the standard that 1 John lays out and we're just like, I, there is still some death in me. There are still places where love has not filled my soul. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, well, then we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Keep going to chapter 2 because the paragraph just continues even though there's a chapter break there. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. Holiness is the call of God. I write this so that you won't sin. But God also knows us. 
If anybody does sin, we have an advocate. That word advocate means we have a defense attorney with the judge, the father. And who is our defense attorney? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's good at his job. And he will get you found not guilty. And the way he'll do it is in the next verse. He will pay the price for your sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only ours, but for the sins of the world. So the reality is, you have sinned. You will sin. You have fallen short of this standard. You will fall short of the standard. But in the same breath, John says, the standard hasn't changed. Let's live toward the standard that Christ has set. And here's the difference. We don't live up to, to say, you know, I live up to the standard. We don't live up to the standard. But we live toward the standard. We never give up on the trajectory to which God is calling us, even though we are at all times dependent on the grace of God because of all the ways we fall short of that standard. So with that in mind, anchored in the grace of God that empowers us to pursue holiness, let's jump back to where we were in 1 John. We're going to actually skip ahead a little bit to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And if you don't love, you don't know God. And stop pretending that you do. Let this be a huge gut check where you experience hatred toward other people. Let the Spirit of God convict you where you sit and say, Oh my goodness, I must not know God as well as I thought. Because there is still hatred in my heart. If you don't love you, you don't know God because God is love. So maybe you need to get to know God a little better. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. My dear friends, since this is how God loved us, since God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. Nobody's ever seen God. But if we love one another, oh, we get a little glimpse of it, don't we? No, we haven't seen God, but if, if, when you see people love each other who ought to hate each other, it's like, it's like you get a little glimpse of the divine. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know. Again, you keep, this phrase shows up again and again. You want to know that you live in him and he in This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on. I love this verse. Don't forget where our reliance lies. We do not lie on our, rely on our own strength. We do not rely on our own perfection. We rely on the love of God. And if you are relying on the love of God, you could love another, maybe. Maybe. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. This is how love is made complete in us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There it is. In this world, we're meant to have the DNA of Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then he kind of summarizes 
really the whole book here, kind of, kind of wraps it all up. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. I told you, these two commands are so interwoven, and we want to pull them apart, and it just can't be done. He says, if you claim to love God and hate a brother or sister, you're lying. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. He writes this so that we will not sin. But if anyone does, Christ atones. This is the command. Love one another. Anyone who claims they love God but does not, but hates a brother and sister is a liar because they're all tied up together. I want to tell you something. Everybody knows what I just preached about Jesus. Just so you know, this is like super common knowledge. Everybody knows that Jesus teaches us to love God and love our neighbor. Like it's like, like everybody knows. You don't have to know anything about Jesus. You never met a Christian. It's like it's the word on the street. Jesus taught his followers to be loving. Everybody knows that. What this means is, when somebody who claims to be a Christian is hateful in public, their witness is destroyed. I want us to be super clear on that. Since everybody knows Jesus told the people to follow him, to love their enemy, to pray for those who persecute you, to love their neighbor, to love... Since everybody knows Jesus told us to, to be a force of love in the world, when you claim to follow Jesus and instead are a force of hatefulness in the world, your witness is destroyed. Because the one thing everybody knows now, I don't know much about Jesus, I don't know much about you, but I know you're no follower of Jesus. Because Jesus said you can pick out my followers by how well they love people. That's the way you'll be able to tell. This is especially true when Christians are unloving to other Christians. And the world watches. And the world says, well, we don't know much about you, but the one thing we know about you is you must not follow Jesus because the only thing we know about Jesus is that Jesus told us to love everybody. And you got to know that people know that. And they know that you know that. And then they watch us. But this series isn't just about knowing the DNA. It's about living it. So how do we live it? Well, it first starts with that grace piece, right? He says, if anybody says they're without sin, they're a liar. So the first thing you got to do is just go to God and confess your sin and say, I'm not as loving as I wish I was. And he says, if anyone confesses their sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. If you forgot that, just go spend the rest of your day in 1 John 1, 8 through 2, 2. Just read those four verses over and over and over and over again till the paradox sinks in. You are called to holiness. You are forgiven of your sin. You are called to holiness. You are forgiven of your sin. You are called to holiness. When you fail in your holiness, you're forgiven of your sin and then called to holiness. It never, that's the thing. So first, anchor yourself in grace. And then get a strategy for love. 
I get strategic about loving everyone. If I needed a word for that strategy, a word that has really helped me lately, uh, it's just been really good for my soul, is the word servant. And just to ask this question, am I living as a servant to everyone I meet? That's really, that word has really helped me. Am I living as a servant to bless, to edify, to strengthen and serve everyone I meet? That's what it looks like to put love into action. Not philosophical love, not theoretical love, not emotional love, but to love like Jesus is to lay down your own desires for the sake of another. I want to suggest two ways to serve that I see multiply in effectiveness and I would commend to you. The first is to, to love others by serving the local church. When you serve the local church, your love for others gets magnified. Whether that's serving as a welcome team member or a parking lot person or on our pastoral care team or a Sunday school teacher or a youth sponsor, it, it moves forward the mission of church, of church, of course. It anchors you to the part of the body of Christ. You'll never feel more connected to the body when you're serving. But the main thing I want to say is that it accomplishes the love of others in a radically effective way. I, 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 just, I, just, I was just thinking as I prepared for this sermon of all the phone calls I've received. Well, in the, in the last month, I've had dozens of these phone calls. People are grieving or sick, and I'll say, hey, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm, I'm great because the church is caring for me. The church is loving me. Me. So when you serve as part of our pastoral care team or taking food to somebody, uh, you know, in the name of Christ, the love of Christ is expressed. But I think of other phone calls. I got a call from a mom once whose kids were, were they were young adults and they were doing well. And, and, and um, she called me up and she said, Ethan, I need your help. And I said, like, okay, great. How can I help? And she says, well, I just, I don't know what to do. My kids, they're growing up, and they're doing great. And I was like, again, I don't see the problem here, but okay, tell me how I can help. And, she says, and, and I know that the only reason my kids made it is because of all the Sunday school teachers and youth sponsors that helped me raise my kids these last 20 years. I wasn't a very good mom, but with the help of the church, my kids made it, and I, and I don't know how to, how to thank them. I already wrote a note to every single one I could remember to tell them thank you, but I, I don't know what else to do. And I, I said, well, I guess I, I sort of don't know either. I said, but the only thing I could think of is maybe you should go become a Sunday school teacher now and help raise somebody else's kids the way somebody helped you raise yours. So that's what she did. And I just think... How many moms are out there? I mean, all you who have served as a youth sponsor or a Sunday school teacher, you need to know that is one of the most effective ways to demonstrate the love of God for another. I, I, somebody I met, we have our um, first things first class today. I'll say, if you're new around here and want to learn more about the church, join us for lunch after church. But uh, a few months ago at one of these classes, I was chatting with somebody and I asked them, you know, how they came to be at First Christian, and they said they were, they were in a hard place. They weren't sure if they could really be loved again, and they visited a couple of churches, and they came here, 
and they were greeted by one of our parking attendants with so much enthusiasm and so much love that they knew they would be okay in this church and they hadn't quit coming since. I have no idea who that parking attendant was, but thank you. You need to know that kind of service is a radically powerful way to show the love of Christ for one another. And I would, just, I would challenge some of you who need to get engaged in showing love through serving the local church. But the other challenge I want to give you is this one. And I want to try and be clear about this because uh, for some reason I have trouble explaining this. I want to challenge you to also not just serve the local church, but serve through the local church. I want to be careful about what I say here because the service that you give as just a random Christ follower out in the world, that is super important too. Don't stop that. If you see somebody you need, help them in Jesus' name. If you see a way you can make the world a better place, do that in the name of Christ. That's super important. Don't quit that. And the service that many of you perform through local nonprofits and parachurch ministries, that's also super important. But I want you to know that in my observation, there is something uniquely effective for the gospel when we serve through the local church. If you serve on your own, again, that's super, don't quit it. But there's a chance that the glory for that service will come back to you. Or if it goes to Jesus... There's not, they won't know what to do with it except to think nice thoughts about Jesus. If you serve through a parachurch or a nonprofit organization, again, there's a chance that the glory for that service will go to that organization, which is good, I suppose, if they're doing good stuff, great. But we're trying to help them know the love of Christ, not just the love of any old person. But when you serve through the local church, the glory goes to Christ. People don't say, oh, good, I'm glad those four people love their neighbors, they say, oh, I'm so glad to see that Christians are out there loving. You see, the glory goes straight to Christ. They won't even know who did it. They won't even know it's you. They'll just think it's somebody on behalf of Jesus. And so I love, when I service, the other thing about service to the local church, it doesn't just communicate clearly that, that the glory goes to God. It also creates a direct path if the one who is served wants to get connected to Christ. Again, you know, I helped a guy out the other day. He needed a ride, gave him a ride, gave him some money for lunch and helped him out. And I, I prayed for him, and he knew I was doing it in the name of Jesus. But, you know, how's he, it's not like we're buddies. We're not Facebook friends. You know, when am I ever going to see him again? That doesn't create a pathway of discipleship for him. But when I serve on behalf of the church, you need to know, people you are serving in the name of First Christian Church, they show up on our door. Maybe it's a month later or two months later or six months later. Maybe it's five years later. And they say, hey, this church helped me out once, and I, I think I need to get to know Jesus. Could you help me with that? You see, serving in the name of the church creates a pathway back to discipleship. So I would say, if you're not jumping in with Love Month, jump in with Love Month. I mean, it's so easy. It's a great way to get started and find an area where you want to serve. Sign-ups are still downstairs. If you're worshiping online, sign-ups are still online. Sign up. I want to tell you one thing we're short-staffed in. Uh, we're short-staffed in 
uh, meals for fire stations. We got this plan. We're going to try and take warm meals to all the fire stations in town. Uh, we need some more people to do that. If that's you, stop by the table, get the instructions, go online, call the church office, figure out how you can help with that. We need some more people to do that. But lots of the projects need a few more hands, so maybe you want to jump in with one of those projects. Maybe you want to help out with our West Main ministry uh, to the unhoused of Johnson City, and uh, maybe you want to help, help with that. And be ready, because in a couple weeks, we're going to do this challenge, and I'm going I'm to challenge everyone in our congregation to say, I'm going to make a commitment to serve this church and serve through this church. I'm just going to challenge every person to find their way. This is the way I'm serving the church and the way I'm serving through the church in the name of Jesus as a way of loving everyone. Right now, I'm going to dismiss this here in just a couple seconds and wrap a couple things up. Uh, we've got these challenge sheets. Pick up a challenge sheet on the way out the door. It's just sort of a devotional guide to kind of keep you anchored in God's word and, and thinking about what God's calling you to do as you seek to live the DNA. Uh, if, if you're here in the sanctuary, somebody will hand you one of these on your way out the door. If you're worshiping online, you can get it off the website. There should be a link in the chat that you can use there. We want you to have access to one of those. I want to I end with this thought. Jesus says, when you love people, that's when they'll know that you're mine. That's when they'll know you belong to me. When you love people, they'll know. That's what he says. And I, I want them to know. I want the world to know I belong to Jesus. And so I want to do more than just know the DNA. I want to live it. And maybe if that's what you want, maybe you could just join me in this prayer. God, we must start with confession. Because our hearts do condemn us. For we know that we have harbored hatred and bitterness where we should have had love. And so we confess trusting in your word that when we confess to you, you are faithful and just to forgive, purifying us of all unrighteousness and calling us back to the life that is rooted in Jesus, a life that has the DNA of Jesus and lives the DNA of Jesus, which we see is a life of love for everyone. So God, right now, we just, we're just relying on your spirit to send us out prepared to love everyone. God, stop us short when we would act in hatred and compromise our witness and embarrass your name. And instead, may we become the servants you have called us to be so that your name is glorified in our lives. We pray all this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, be blessed, have a great week, and because you love God, love everybody you meet. Have a great week.